I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Aggressor Adventures. For over 35 years, we've designed adventure vacations around the world, helping travelers experience the majesty of the oceans and the call of the wild on our dive trips, river cruises, and safaris. From the Galapagos Islands and the South Pacific to the land of the pharaohs on the Nile River, with personalized service in every vacation destination. Aggressor. Adventures of a Lifetime. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. So if you're paying attention, you may have noticed my personal trend of placing myself in the company of people I respect or admire, often artists, to try to get them to open up about what keeps them going. What's their motivation for continuing to create all through their lives? One might say, in spite of everything going on around them, and us these days, it's a pretty thinly veiled attempt on my part to instill that same sense of artistic enthusiasm in my own creative life. I'll just bet that you have people you know, as I do, that you consider to be incredibly talented, and yet they just don't seem to get their due, at least as far as you think they should have anyway. They should be acting in big roles. They should be running some big company. They should be touring the world musically, or their books should be published by big publishing companies. I have several friends like this, and it drives me crazy because they're far more talented than I will ever be. And yet they continue through life just under the radar of the world at large. My friend Pearson Ross is one of those artists. I describe him, though he might not like this, as the Canadian Ray LaMontagne, but better. Or how about a Canadian Van Morrison? As a songwriter, his sense of melody and vibe and lyric never fail to captivate me. And I always find myself wishing I'd written some song that he's just recorded. So sit back, take in a deep breath, because for this podcast, I hope you're in a mellow mood. In fact, maybe wait and listen in the evening with a glass of vino or beverage of your choice, maybe a big pot of herbal tea. You're about to sit and listen to two artists upstairs in my studio as we chat about the responsibility of being an artist and how Pearson reinvigorated his own artistic muse by touring Canada and performing wait for it, while traveling by canoe. As an artist and former canoe instructor myself, I can assure you I had a serious level of envy over his touring by canoe project. And then we pick up the guitars and play a little mini-concert for you. These are the words of Pearson Ross. And then it just came to me. It was a very simple anatomical diagram that I saw of the peri caribou. And I started cutting these animals, uh, all the endangered species of Canada in my apartment, putting them up to keep me company out of reflective tape. So every time the cars would go by in Chinatown, they'd, they'd light up. I'm sitting right here and you're looking at me, but I can't seem to see you at all. I'd had a writing blah in the middle of the night, which was uh, sort of came from a dream and it, it's the first time that I dreamt of a melody that I remembered when I woke up. Mm. And by chance, because it was raining, I brought my baritone berry, I call the baritone ukulele, I brought it in the tent. And I had it capoed on the third fret with the open D strings, just sort of, and it was the exact key. Maybe I'd played it before I slept or maybe through osmosis, I don't know. But it was the first time that I'd written in a major key. It's time to hold on. It's time to let go 
time to ring the bell It's time to make peace It's time to stop hate It's time to love her As an artist, at least it's been said that we tend to think differently. A good friend of mine, a singer-songwriter named Kevin Claus, would often be fond of saying, you know, you can't become an artist. It's not something you either are or you aren't. You know, you're born with as being an artist. So where I'm leading with things is, okay, if we look at the world for whatever reason differently, can we affect the world? You know, what point do we have as an artist? What's our role as an artist? What's our responsibility as an artist? So what I'd like, actually a great way to, to tap into you is say, okay, you are doing something. Let's start with what you're doing right now because you're doing something in terms of, you said yourself, you're doing a protest song. What are you doing? What, what's the point of what you're doing with the protest song? I've uh, often thought like a great creator or anyone who's involved in, in making stuff should be, a, you know, on some level, a purposeful human or a great human influence. I wasn't always uh, touring Europe. It was very much to switch gears and, and embrace music wholeheartedly. But after a while, those kind of uh, dialogues get stale in that um, in addition to uh, the love and the loss and the beautiful images of nature, what's your message? What's your stance? Where do you stand on the issues? And um, having grown up a paddler and someone who was raised by a family that uh, encouraged compassion uh, for others and especially respect in nature. Uh, I just feel like it's our duty to defend the land and the natural habitats at risk that we were born into. Well, so. most, and I'll bet you feel it's everybody's duty, right? But how about as a creator, as a writer, and as a presenter of your creative endeavors, are you saying that artists have a duty, a responsibility, if you will, to, to do what we do? Yeah, I think it's... Uh, I, th I think it's important that uh, you express yourself. I always equate it to, you know, when you're standing beside, silently beside, a, you know, a racist joke. You know, mm. if, if you're if you're if you're standing alongside, you're condoning it. Uh, not dissimilar to Islamophobia and all these themes in the current crazy climate of of the world. If you don't express your view on it, uh, you know, and, and respond, uh, if not respond directly to the people perpetuating, uh, you know, this, this bad taste, then I don't know. I think uh, your attempts at uh, all the other themes in art are futile um, because um, you're, you, no one really knows where you stand. Uh, you, haven't, um, you haven't really shared with them until it becomes personal. So we have a, a motto in the office, which is don't take this professionally. It's only personal. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, having worked in, in, in uber professional environments that were all, almost borderline clinical, it uh, pushed me the other way um, to incorporate emotion into all my creative work. If it's not emotional, I throw it in the garbage. There's a, a wonderful <clears throat> film called 20 Feet from Stardom that highlights the background singers. And there's a, there's a moment in there where, where Sting talks, and he actually says, oh, about, he talks about American Idol, and he says, you know, there's this thought that you can go on American Idol and become, you know, famous, and, and, and uh, but he said what, what they miss is the spiritual journey. And if they achieve this end goal of being a celebrated performer, and they've missed the, the, the spiritual journey, that their success is wafer thin. And I think that's what you're alluding to. Right. Uh, I mean, I, it's a great club to belong to, I'm sure, uh, in, in terms of um, some of the circles surrounding uh, beauty pageants or um, adjudication, the voice, yeah. all of that. You know. But um, I like the distinction uh, reward-winning career as opposed to award-winning. How, how, how do people adjudicate art? Uh, the fact that it's subjective at all is, is just absurd to me. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I applaud people's efforts in entertainment, and that's where I draw the distinction. I mean, I, I'm not a great entertainer. I've learned to embrace the stage more and more as time's gone on. But I guess because we come from story and we come from real-life experience, we need to share that. That's as much of a sickness and uh, a strange OCD-type behavior as it is, uh, you know, a gift or, or some kind of blessing to be able to do it. And, and for you, why nature? What's, what's, the, what's the background with you that, I mean, clearly, as an artist, I've been compelled 
to share my love for nature. I've always said, look, Survivor yeah. Man was not about fire bows and starting fires and building shelters. It was always about connecting people to nature. So that was my motivation and that's my motivation musically now. So why you? Yeah, why, yeah. why do you feel this affinity with the natural world? I think it, for a lot of people, it starts really young and that w was uh, the case for me as well. Um, we were campers as kids. And so uh, when you go on long trips with your family, and then later with your friends and you spend so much time as a younger person in these sort of fragile environments, you're sort of oblivious at it from, for the majority of the beginning. And then I guess for me, it struck me into Killarney one time when... Um, Killarney, Ontario, beautiful yeah, park, right? My, uh, my girlfriend uh, brought a snorkel and mask. And uh, we, I was always a bit of a stickler about traveling light. And I said, why are you bringing that? I mean, you're just gonna, it's gonna clog up the, the knapsack. And we got there. Nelly Lake, as you know, it's, it's a dead lake and it's translucent, almost completely transparent. A hundred feet down looks like 30 feet down. You can almost see- Because it's a dead lake. Yeah, right. The, you can see the old growth forest that used to be, no organic matter in there. And the pH balance is off the charts because of Inco. And I wouldn't have learned any of that if our other friend who we were camping with, M&R guy, was doing the pH balance and was showing us the off-kilter ecosystem or lack thereof. So that freaked me out. You know, as a sort of in my 20s thought, wow, you know, like no one's really, really doing very much up here in terms of uh, that kind of awareness. And um, Inco certainly got away with uh, a lot of industrial uh, years up there. And Aside from the friends of Tomogamy, and you meet all these sorts of not-for-profits that are on the grassroots level, which is wonderful, there weren't as many uh, people in what I was doing sharing the, the problems and the, the, the real environmental issues. So I don't pretend to be a spokesperson on behalf of the environment. I should say that straight out in that I'm not an environmental scientist, but I, I have friends who are, and more importantly, if, if I can just inspire those people, uh, to me, they're the real game changers, and I, I can continue a, a dialogue with them in a relationship, then I feel in some way that I've done a little bit more uh, to be a good person, regardless that's, that, of my... Yeah, so that's finding the role of your art. That's really interesting, because one of the things we run up against when when uh, you, you get involved in, in certain scenarios, if you're speaking or singing, is are you essentially preaching to the choir. The reality is, yeah, you might be actually. I just finished doing a, a protest concert as I told you about and absolutely preaching to the choir. But there's something to remember here. Sometimes the choir needs a fire lit under its butt. And so the preaching to the choir, I used to think, oh, bad. I don't want to just, it's all the same people. But then you realize, yeah, but it's the same people who, who agree with you. They're buying into what you're, what you're selling them and then they're just going home. But if you're there and you're selling, you're, you're, you're putting this out there, you're putting your art out there saying, look, here's some things you, you need. We've got to do something here. Right. I, I think that's a wonderful rule to have is, is to preach to the choir but, and light a fire under them. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I never really, I, I didn't really have a deliberate motive. In, in New York in 2009 to 2012, I was, ha I was music centric and, and uh, I was was sort of en route to burnout and and I, I kind of experienced this homesickness and I hadn't been on a canoe trip in probably there was a two-year period where I hadn't been outside for a while that was a catalyst to to stop writing uh, lyric lyric writing and theme writing I had an opportunity to do some Japanese paper cuts which was always a fascinating visual art form and as I was doing it, I realized how amateur I was at the craft and how my lack of intricacy wasn't really helping my cathartic process of, of trying to sort of be more well-balanced and trying to find myself as a, as a visual expressionist. And then it just came to me. It was a very simple anatomical diagram that I saw of the peri caribou. And I started cutting these animals, uh, all the endangered species of Canada, in my apartment, putting them up to keep me company out of reflective tape. So every time the cars would go by in Chinatown, they'd, they'd light up. And uh, my roommate's uh, new girlfriend was a, a gallery dealer, I guess, an art dealer, and she sold it as a mural. So before it was an album, uh, she sold it as some Inuit-inspired Canadian songwriter's art. And then it occurred to me, if I throw this on my album cover, then I won't have all these legal problems of 
copyright and all these things that people were advising me on the time. And I was very uninterested to speak to the financial district about how I came up with the color blue or why I chose this type of mural. Because I'm not a studied uh, artist student. So anyway, so that was the birth of Wild Ones. That's how Wild Ones uh, began. And when we had a flood uh, because of Hurricane Sandy in 2012, I lost the analog recordings of that album that we'd done live in a church, mm. uh, one of the oldest Baptist congregations in the Lower East Side. And I felt worse for our visual artist neighbors who had paintings floating, uh, you know, in the East Village. And, uh, you know, I had uninsured flea market fines. So that was sort of a catalyst to, to move back home uh, and be a little bit more closer to home and really truly embrace lyrically songs that were more about the Canadians that we met when I was paddling across the country. And so Lyrically Wild Ones is a tribute to each most influential person uh, that was, I thought, in my heart, a Canadian ambassador in that they were always very adamant to exp express how their unique region of Canada is either um, a beautiful place and you should check it out or it's at risk and we've got to do something about it so the album then turned to be 10 provinces three oceans and three territories of all the most endangered species and their natural habitats at risk as a visual presentation and then as a lyrical one to all the people that inspired me to make that a conceptual mm -hmm. what people what people for example Caitlin Mitchell's uh, a, a really good friend of mine uh, who's a lawyer at EcoJustice, mm -hmm. who um, is, was probably one of the first catalysts to really shift my way of thinking about um, environmental issues. And um, because she comes from such a doom and gloom uh, area of uh, serving these clients, um, I mean, they've had some great victories recently um, from offshore drilling to uh, Northern Gateway Pipeline, I mean, some, some really big ones. And uh, just so inspirational that these people work so tirelessly to uh, establish, and, and even law reforms right mm -hmm. now. Uh, it's, it's, to me, all those people, but Caitlin more specifically, was one of the most inspirational, selfless workers fighting the good fight. And so, but she, the other, the, other uh, the contrast uh, influencer to, to Caitlin was uh, my old canoe instructor, uh, Frank Wolf, a, a co-tripper at a summer camp many moons ago, who called me and said, why don't you tour Canada? I said, it's too long a drive. He said, well, let's paddle it. And so there was more incentive to come home and, if nothing else, just get back in a canoe with Frank. And so explain to me this, this canoe tripping touring. Right. That you're, how does it work? So... Uh, yeah, so uh, I said, yeah, it's too long a drive. And Frank uh, said, listen, I want to make a film uh, about your career as an artist because you're a terrible marketer. And, um, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. And it, it would be great to go on trip again. And so we booked a, a bunch of shows, maybe a couple dozen shows from uh, uh, Georgian Bay, Lake Huron to Montreal. What kind of venues were you? Uh, we were playing pretty unconventional town halls, uh, rafting companies, lodge eco lodges, a few friends, house concerts uh, up in Madawas was as far north as we got, uh, those kind of venues, and some very purposeful um, not-for-profits in the grassroots world participated and made, it, made you paddling through feels so much more purposeful, like the Georgian Bay Biosphere Reserve, for instance. Those guys were amazing. They were, um, we, we, we didn't raise a lot of money for them, but we, we split up proceeds so that we could contribute. Uh, next week weekend so Frank's very excited about that I don't know how interesting a film about two guys canoe tripping is but I love that uh, it's an annual now and mm -hmm. that it gets me outside and you're so invigorated mm -hmm. so energized for the the performance aspect of the work uh, because you've just spent 12 hours a day paddling yeah uh, so you've got all these endorphins running through you not to mention all the people you meet that uh, are doing great things for the earth and being a part of that conversation. But unlike the doom and gloom crowd, we're not waving a finger at people and I'm not yelling at my audience. Frank's a comedian mm -hmm. of a filmmaker who, the com comedic interludes 
I think are the most wonderful part about why his message gets out there. That's that's an interesting point, actually, because I was having this discussion just the other day about we get to this point where our the earnestness become can become a little overwhelming and the sincerity and the seriousness can become a little overwhelming and a little tiresome. And I'm just releasing two new albums and they're all about, you know, nature. And some of them are calls to action and some of the lyrics are dark. Um, but once we start playing live is the key. Because if I played just all the songs off those albums, it would be, I think, overwhelming. And so in the middle comes the levity, you know, and I start playing a song like a nice, nice tattoo or something like something fun because you've got to catch your breath. You know, it's, it's very difficult to care so much about, say, the natural world or the environment. Uh, you know, I think Aldo Leopold said to be an ecologist is, is to be alone in a land of wounds. And that can be all too true. So if you're touring in a canoe and playing your concerts, but you're spicing it in with the levity, with the comedy, with the fun, so that, you know, because we just have to catch our breath sometimes. Yeah, it's sort of in a, in a Krakauer sense. I always like when he writes about Lord Byron at the beginning of his book, mm -hmm. you know, to be one with nature. And then by the end, it's Tolstoy's family happiness. <laughs> True happiness is that which is shared. Yeah. And uh, that took me a while to figure out, too. I mean, I thought enlightenment was uh, solitary meditation for 10 days at a time, eating very little. And uh, I did see colors around people, and I had a bunch of unique experiences, but it didn't bring me closer to the source. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what I was channeling in those days. There's a, there's a great line in, in a, a song that, uh, that we covered uh, by Ben Harper. And I, I think it's, uh, he's talking to the man, you know, when you're rattling on heaven's gate, by then it'll be too late because it won't be, they won't ask what you saved. All they want to know is what you gave. Right. You got to serve somebody. Uh, excuse me, mister. Oh, excuse me, ben mister. Harper. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm they thinking doing so. They, they won't ask what you saved. All they'll want to know is what you gave. And oh, this is... right. You know, yeah, that's fight, to, fight for Your Mind, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we did a cover of that on the new album. Oh, lovely. And I think that sentiment is easy to overlook, but it becomes about, yeah, what do you, what's your give back on everything? You know, I mean, of course yeah. we got, we have to make money. We have to provide for families. We have to put clothing on our back. We have to satisfy our ego, our performance ego, our writing vanity. We have to do all those things, but we also have to do give back. There has to be, to me, there does always need to be at least a slice of altruism in your body, a slice of philanthropy, a slice of sacrificial give back. Somehow you don't have to be a bleeding heart, the whole, you know, bleeding hearts and artists line. Right. You don't have to be a bleeding heart to be an artist. I think an artist has a role that uh, can be everything from bleeding heart to militant and everything in between. When you say you're writing a protest song, well, earlier we, we'd been speaking with an artist who said you realize a protest is an act of war. Right. Do you feel like you're doing an act of war with the song you're writing? Well, uh, you know, this has been uh, one of the trickiest processes in terms of coming up with... Uh, you know, f f there's no sense of finality. The bridge is, um, we won't be silent anymore. Can't you see no one wins the war? And, and you know, very simple, simply put, um, you know, how, how would you gently speak to tyrannical bullies? Mm. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if that's even, if that's even something that they would even listen to. I mean, they'll hear it but they, they may not actually actively listen to, to what I'm saying. So the, verse, the verses are speaking with my, my people. You know, we're going to stand up to that fascist clown. By the time we get to the chorus, it's, it's addressing the bully. You're past the point of no return. Best not tread upon the people who have earned it. As Caesar said and Chomsky learned, the die is cast when every single bridge you cross is burned. And I interchanged Caesar and Chomsky with my parents saying mama and papa in the mm -hmm. first chorus. But I mean, just to, just to try and condense some of these ideas, it, it became laughable uh, towards the end of, of the process. And I don't know if it's a protest song, to be honest. I think maybe past the point might just be the angriest I've ever felt um, about uh, the way the world is going. I mean, the protest song sounds like a song of action. Is this one of the ways that an artist can affect change? When I hear Billy Bragg 
scream singing, you know, or even just Bob Marley softly saying, stand up for your rights. It makes me want to be larger than I am mm-hmm. currently. <laughs> and so... Or, or perhaps be part of something bigger than you. Right. So we're going to stand up to that fire rooster. I mean, if I heard that line, I thought to myself, well, I'm with this person. That's how I feel. I want to stand up to them. How do I do that? Okay. That's when the not-for-profit comes into play. And when our friends like Caitlin and Frank's wonderful uh, demo of of athletic hippies who want to save the world um, can facilitate some of those petitions, some of those purposeful events that try and reform some of these policies. So I'm hopeful that I do have an active listener in my audience uh, of the choir that I'm preaching to. I, I don't know, I just somehow, and maybe this is a false sense of security, but I have faith that our small group of friends um, are more purposeful than the average people. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I, I think, think they can make a difference. Well, look at, look at uh, Leonard Cohen. As beautiful as the material is, I've been fond of being a little bit mocking in, in, you know, how morose he can often be. And I heard someone, after he passed, someone said, you know, he just made me feel so much better. And I thought, better? We talk about the right artist. You know, how, what do you mean Leonard Cohen made you feel better? And I said, because I didn't feel like I was the only one. To add to that, I have a song called Dark Side. And I got an email once from someone who said, you know, the song Dark Side, listen to the title. It's a dark song. Yeah. And it's about the, the chorus line is everybody's got a dark side. And this guy emails me and says, you know, that song of yours, Dark Side, always pulls me on my funk when I fall into a dark hole. And I'm thinking like, how? Because he didn't feel alone. It wasn't that I needed to write, let's go smell the flowers and the world is all daisies to lift this person up. I just needed to say, hey man, you're not alone. I feel this stuff too. And that's what Leonard did. And when I, I'm bringing this all to, uh, I'm bringing it home to the environmental situation or your protest song that you're working with now. I think that as artists, whether it's paintings that we put out or, or poetry that we write or spoken word poetry or writing books, and of course the music that we create or the films that we create, you never know where that energy is going to go. And part of the beauty of the altruism of it is never finding out. You never, sometimes you'll hear back like that story about the guy who likes my song, Dark Side. But most of the time, you don't know. And the song that you, the stuff you're working on, you just don't know what is good. I think this is part of the beauty of being an artist is you don't know where the energy you created or that you tapped into, whichever way you want to look into it, is going to land. And, and it can be very, it's usually, with your intentions being right, a very beautiful place. I listen to your music when you're not around. You, you don't know what that does for me during my day. Any one of your particular songs, a boycott on words, something like that. You don't know. You have no idea. It's true. I think that's what I love about uh, Cohen and, and a lot of great Canadian writers is their open-ended uh, verses where you're, they could be interpreted in so many different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always great art. I mean, there's, it's, a, it's a wonderful you know, work of the imagination and um, I do feel honored to do it, but I think it's important that you know, we do uh, always express our emotion. And if uh, we ever fail to do that, then maybe uh, we should move on to the next one. I guess I, I live a fairly you know, proactive kind of lifestyle. I'm fairly, you know, I'm a yang. You know, I'm not a yin, I'm a yang. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, in, in, if we wait for the meek to inherit the earth, there'll be nothing left for us to inherit. And so it basically saying, come on, man, got to do something here. You know, I'm, it's hard to, to figure out this role of being the artist. And I've got a, a sentence I want to run by you and ask your opinion on. But before we do that, when we loosen up a bit, um, you got a song uh, you want to play first? And, yeah, and, uh, you mentioned a call to action. I was thinking of, of time. Um, it's time. It's about time. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting right here listening to you but i can't seem to hear you at all the hell with this fear and the laziness too if we stay in this scene you know we're bound to fall it's about it's about it's about Do 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 do. 
It's about, it's about, it's about Time Tell her it's time to show him it's time to wave goodbye. Well, affecto espiritu, look them in the eye. It's time to hold on, it's time to let go, it's time to ring the bell. It's time to stop hate It's time to love her nature tribute there you know what aggressor adventures while being the largest liveaboard dive operation in the world is so much more they have safaris and excursions to the corners of the globe exciting opportunities to see vast archaeology history and natural wonders i've been traveling and diving with them for years and i cannot endorse them enough for being simply the best there is at making sure your worldwide adventure is a safe, comfortable, and exciting one. Take it from a guy who has done a lot of adventuring. Who do I travel with on my vacations? Aggressor Adventures. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. Tell me what you think of this. You got you to process it a little bit. An art teacher sent me this. And he actually runs it by his classes and they go through what each individual part of the sentence actually stands for and means. So it's, I'm going to read it a couple of times. Art is a product of man in which materials are skillfully ordered to communicate a human existence. Art is a product of man in which materials are skillfully ordered to communicate a human experience. He likes to actually break it down. So, for example, order can range from chaos to boring. Art is a product of man in which materials are skillfully ordered to communicate a human experience. Do you think that's, you think that's accurate? The purpose of us is really simply communicating our human experiences? All of them. Good, bad, dark, light, intense, benign. Well, I, I think, I think there, there's a, a huge portion of it that's experiential, um, but then I think there's also this unexplained element to creation that may or may not be our experiential perception. It could be, you know, I, I always baffle when people say they're, they're in the zone or they're channeling the source right now. And um, I mean, I don't have one creative process. I don't have one... It's not just for my existence or I don't think it is or I don't 
think it's just all about my experiences. Uh, I think that's a great starting place, but I think um, there are unknowns that um, that are above and beyond uh, our experiential understanding. Or our ability to articulate why they exist. You know, if you're in nature, I think you're you're closer to channeling the source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you are tapping into one of the oldest nonverbal dialogues on Earth, and I think there's there's something extremely. It's just so unfathomable and profound that I I don't know. I, I don't even care to define it as a creator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I just feel blessed to be able to to be a part of it. And uh, do, you, do you feel, I mean, one of the a real fascinating perspective on the creative entity is that it's not our own, that it comes to us, that we are vessels, that we tap into it, that we facilitate that sort of thing. Right. And so for example, Tom Waits is, you know, there's a funny story about Tom yeah. getting one in the backseat of his car while he was driving one day and him being pissed off at it and saying, oh, the hell are you doing here? Did you see I'm driving? Did you go bother Leonard Cohen? You know, and that's a funny story, Tom. But the point is that Tom so well believed that you know these are orbs of creativity that float around, and whether they land on you or whether you take them in. So, our, our artists, do you, do, what do you what do you think about that? You think that's just you know kind of new agey nonsense, or be more pragmatic about art? I think you you definitely have to create a routine or some kind of practice um, if you're going to grow your craft. But um, to be able to sort of dictate when inspiration strikes, I think that's just absurd. I mean, I don't, I don't think uh, it's possible. I think uh, it comes at all different times and places. And But uh, if there's one place uh, that it comes more often than not, it's it's on trip. It's, um, it's when we're, we're moving, we're self-propelling ourselves through something. And um, at lunch, I mean, there's just the ideas and the feelings combined are just they're spewing and we call it trip foo so let's assume that all of us want to attain our black paddle at some point and um, once we get our black paddle we achieve a a state of trip vana and when you're a trip fruit practitioner like we 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 playfully say we are um, it's the state of mind trip vana is that no matter where you are you're always on trip Mm. so if we can just channel that trip foo on a regular basis, regardless of our environment, uh, that discipline becomes the mind over matter. And I, I think you are perfectly designed to create in, under those conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, a total personal question, uh, but do you, do you practice uh, any kind of meditative anything, a gratitude or, or visualization or prayer or uh you know do you do you do anything like that that you feel feeds feeds you the, the direction of where you're going or in our forest gump analogy here or are you are a feather floating floating about and you'll land where you land or or not um i'm a real compilation of uh, of different practices simply because i love to switch it up on a regular basis because you get bored uh no i just feel like i'm like fear and laziness are already universal traits of humanity. And if you don't throw with your left hand, preferably speaking on a regular basis, then it's going to go limp or, you know, you, you won't be able to use it again. So, uh, you know, I just read today about start brushing your teeth with your wrong hand and it enables you to deal with unexpected stress easier yeah. later on. Yeah. I mean, just that one act of switching it up. And I mean, even now, just even me thinking of doing it, my hand feels awkward and weird yeah. like that. No, I, I give me this. You know, and yeah. that's, that's the crutch, right? It's going back to our usual way. I've always felt like that question in, in, in media too. I, I sort of shy away from providing one one answer. I, I think religion is as personal as your undergarments. I don't need to know what color you've got on, whatever gets you through the night. I mean, whether it's religion or uh, drugs or your practice, whatever it is, if you're doing the best work that you believe you know how to do, then kudos to you. You're, you're channeling it in whatever way you get there. You're channeling your higher self. Yeah, I mean, I love stretching and breathing, but I would never universally endorse yoga for everyone. Or I'm a long distance runner and I feel like, like a border collie, I need to get outside. And if I don't have uh, some kind of routine for my endorphins, then I feel like I'm not sort of at my best in some ways. Hmm. And then in lazier months in the winter, uh, that sort of morphs into cross country skiing. 
and just sheer la- loafing. Do you when you're, when you're out when you're out with Frank and you're doing this canoe tour and that do you write when you're in it or do you gather and percolate it and write it later sometime later somewhere else? It's funny. Uh, one morning uh, I got up a bit late and. Uh, Frank interviewed me first thing and uh, said, your breakfast is ready, you lazy bastard. And uh, I'd had a writing blah in the middle of the night, which was uh, sort of came from a dream. And it, it's the first time that I dreamt of a melody that I remembered when I woke up. Mm. And by chance, because it was raining, I brought my baritone, Barry, I call the baritone ukulele, I brought it in the tent. And I had it capoed on the third fret with the open D strings, just sort of, and it was the exact key. Maybe I'd played it before I slept or maybe through osmosis, I don't know. But it was the first time that I'd written in a major key. And I never published the song, but I loved it. And it kept me company on the trip. You came along and sang a song in a major key, love singing. Maybe you're the world to me. Maybe you're the world. It was so hopeful and positive. And I'd come from such a darker space of Armageddon to death and and loss that uh, it was so refreshing. And I, I, I don't pretend to understand where that came from. And yet you didn't publish it. You didn't produce it. In the studio? No, I, I didn't. I, I didn't. Uh, it's about time, person. It was a little. It, it reminded me of high school in a way. The mm-hmm. the, the hopeful, uh, the youthful sensibility and uh, the images of, of of love and and the possibilities being endless and this. Well, sense again, of it's it's about finding that levity yeah. in your yeah. process. I mean, if if you if you tend to to default to the more serious subject matter. You know, um, the power suggestion is powerful. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so, and so, so the levity of that, you know, yeah. is it, it's almost to me, it's almost like your your whole psyche was telling you, okay, lighten up, Pearson. <laughs> here's yeah. here's some here's some creativity. We're just gonna go. Ah, there it is, and you're gonna wake up with it because you need a little levity in your life. It's I, I, like I, I, honestly, I'm not I'm not that much different. Even within my song Arctic Mistress, which is about celebrating the Arctic. I still, at some point, right in the middle, do a little like, oh, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose the Arctic, and I don't want to see glaciers melting into tears. Right. So I still default to that overly serious, overly sensitive artist perspective. It's hard to be light, light and poppy. Yeah, I think it's funny. I I have a lot of friends that work outside of the industry, and they're all they're from all sorts of different walks of life, and it's it's wonderful to have them around, especially the comedic ones like Frank, because. I don't know if I'd continue in the serious vein of writing if it wasn't for the comedic interludes. Uh, those are some of the things that, that keep me the most grounded and hopefully stop me from taking myself so seriously. Bring you sanity. Yeah. Within the course of doing this album, it was, it just, I just felt, you know what, there's a lot of great material out there that, that talks about nature and, and Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi is an obvious, that's a, obvious, it's, you know, considered a very strong environmental song. So we did a cover of that, but completely messed it up, like to, totally changed it into a Delta Blues slide thing with Peter and I. And we did some Ben Harper, we did some J.J. Kale, very obscure J.J. Kale song called Death in the Wilderness. I'll take that cue from myself and play you this cover of an obscure J.J. Kale song off my Bittern Lake CD. This is Death in the Wilderness. Gone. 
You can tell it won't be long We'll find the wilderness has died We'll be the lonely ones Concrete, plastic, human throng Telling one another Have you heard the news? We'll mow it down We'll rape the ground So there's nothing left to abuse The rabbit, he'll be gone Birds will sing no song The wolf, the bear, the lion too The insects far and near And creatures like the deer We'll put in cages at the zoo Death in the wilderness It's a hopeless case, I guess Who's looking out for the wilder side? It'll soon all be gone Pearson's level of eclectic endeavors definitely rivals my own ambitions when it comes to creating and releasing varying forms of inspiration. Lucky for me, he's not a film director. Yet. Currently, he's coming off of living in Paris, writing lyrics for an opera singer who wanted to do a folk album. Then it was on to his recording in what was formerly Supertramp's studio, getting ready to release a solo album and a full band psych rock album and tour. Pearson will be an artist for his entire life, 
and I'm always excited to hear of what he has coming out next. Make sure you do your own Google search for Pearson Ross. If you like this podcast, be sure to check out my interview with Canadian legend Bruce Coburn, available wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is, as the saying used to go, brought to you by Aggressor Adventures. Choose your adventure. Surviving Life with Les Stroud is presented by the Apostrophe Podcast Network and is mixed by Keith Ullman. You're surviving life with me, Les Stroud. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Les Stroud, as I have hundreds of videos there and more going up every week. From Survivor Man Archive to Bigfoot to Wild Harvesting Tips to Urban Disaster Survival. It's all there and it's all free. My brand new series, Wild Harvest, featuring local foraging and turning those wild edibles into sumptuous dishes, is now on National Geographic Asia, PBS stations in the United States, and Cottage Life Television in Canada. The brand new special, Surviving Disasters with Les Stroud, is now on a PBS station near you in the United States or on my YouTube channel. And my brand new children's book, Wild Outside, written for your kids. It's all about getting your kids into the out of doors. And it's out now. Google it. I'm an easy find on Google for those and so much more that I produce during any given year, no matter what's happening on the world stage. We'll figure this life out together. Cue that ripping harmonica solo, Keith. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 